from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. In fact, there are a lot of people who probably should retire, but they won't because they're afraid. And so um, retention isn't about just staying here and keeping you miserable. Retention is about you finding purpose. I'm Elaine Cha. Even before the COVID-19 pandemic, educators working with families and students kindergarten through grade 12 faced myriad and sometimes under-acknowledged challenges. That's affected both teacher recruitment and retention. And the teacher shortage Missouri and Illinois face mirrors a national trend that's been happening since 2008. In fact, as of August 2022, the National Education Association estimated that schools across the U.S. were lacking approximately 300,000 teachers and staff. So where can educators at all stages of their careers find support for themselves? What's the real talk they want, need, and deserve, especially when so many teachers are leaving classroom and schoolyard for better pay, quality of life, and decision-making options even if they love teaching. Joining me in studio to talk about it is Kem Smith, advice columnist for Chalkbeat and 12th grade English teacher at McClure North High School. Kem, welcome to the program. Thank you, thank you. First, what is Chalkbeat and how did you become its first advice columnist? Chalkbeat is a news zine, it's it's online and they cover education stories all across America. Um, I became the vice uh, columnist when they advertised the position and I applied. So it's been a very exciting run. Now, your career as a classroom-based educator has followed an interesting path. And in some places, we've described you as a, a boomerang. What about your experiences along the way of your your teaching journey has equipped you to be a sounding board for other teachers? Well, I started out in a different industry altogether and found my way, or I should say teaching found me. And I I loved it. I, I love the impassioned work of being able to engage in the process of watching students learn and being a part of that. Um, I've totally enjoyed the feedback that I get from graduating students. My first group that I've ever taught are well into their 30s now. And and I didn't think that they remembered me, but I, I see them places and they embrace me. So I enjoy uh, the process of teaching. But somewhere around 10 years in, I was teaching middle school and was very overwhelmed at having a new baby and being a teacher and all of the things that went into that. And I left teaching for about five years. Mm -hmm. I have since returned to the classroom because when I was gone, I owned a business. And I was able to see what the gaps are, what employers are looking for, and where we're kind of falling short preparing our students. So when I returned to the classroom, I went to teach high school. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to ensure that we are graduating students who are ready and prepared for the work world. So I've seen every grade level from preschool to college and I've been able to use my 23 years in and around education and corporate and being a a business owner to look at better opportunities and better ways to 
work through education. So you've truly then run that K through 12 range. Yes, and I recently received a doctorate in education, so I've become a researcher. It gives me the ability to look at things from a different uh, point of view and a different angle. Mm -hmm. Now, your column is called After the Bell. Yes. Which bell or bells does that refer to? It could be any bell. It could be the bell after school. It's all the things in the classroom and beyond. And one of the things that I was thinking is that there, there's the, the morning bell, but there's the time before that bell goes off, and then the, the dismissal bell. And so, you know, it sort of opened up, um, at least for me as someone coming into reading what you were writing about, um, as something that is not limited to the space of what happens in the, the classroom. Now, in terms of the, the themes of the questions that you get, um, is there a common one that comes up among the questions that teachers submit to you for advice? So, so you brought up two great points, and the first one is about the work that we do to prepare for our work. Like there are people who go into their jobs, they have a certain number of tasks that they need to do. When they finish those tasks, they go home. Teachers, we prepare for work. Then we work all day with, with our students, and then we prepare for work again. And, and it, our days are long. And so when I think about a theme and things that um, I hear when teachers are asking questions, it's, it's everything that goes into what it takes to be a teacher and how overwhelming this work can be. Mm-hmm. Um, there is still that passion. I hear it in every question that comes across. But the passion is trying to align how do I have work-life balance? How do I make this work? How do I balance working with administrators, with students, the curriculum? What's going to sustain me in mm-hmm. this work that seems so overwhelming? And many teachers are parents themselves. Is there anything along those lines that you find yourself um, addressing or a, a piece of advice that you give um, that is both broadly and specifically applicable? Oh, absolutely. Because as parents, we have to have boundaries with the work that we do with our students. We we have to understand. And I used to joke about this when I was a middle school teacher. You know, no child left behind also includes my kids. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And so whatever my kids need, I have to be perceptive enough to ensure that I'm meeting those needs because I've learned as a parent of adult children and a teenager at home, kids grow up. And they're going to remember the experiences more so than anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I know one of the things I used to do when my kids were young, um, I would take them to work. Like I would work all day and I'd have so much work left to do that I would pick them up from school and they would work with me. Mm-hmm. Um, on days off, I would bring them in to work and I would be working. You know, And so they have no desire to be teachers now. <laughs> well, they've seen it firsthand. Yeah. Had the, with the pandemic and everything that has happened over the last, you know, two and a half years or so, has that exacerbated things um, in a way that has brought about sort of these come to Jesus moments for people about teaching and continuing? So there's this uh, big need, I, I I would call it a big need for us to acclimate the students back. And everyone is aware of that because we've seen behaviors that have exhibited in ways that we didn't expect. 
um, there is a lot of struggles for the students okay. transitioning back. Can you it's, provide an example maybe of that? So an example of that would be um, we've had a lot of fights. You know, there's there's kids who haven't been in a space with other kids for so long that they're not getting along. And mm-hmm. then in addition to that, we've had a lot of cell phone usage while we're trying to teach, you know, it's just a major distraction. So we haven't acclimated the students back well to being in the building amongst other people. Mm-hmm. There are times when I'm teaching and I'm saying, hello, I'm here, we're not on Zoom. Yeah. You know, I'm talking, can you guys talk to me? Teaching and learning works that way. And so what's happening with the teachers is we, there, we haven't acclimated well to being back in the building either mm-hmm. because we, I don't feel, were prepared not only to be there, but to be this different sort of teacher that students need now. Um, we are used to, when we, when we speak, people actually listening to us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but being able to command that control again and being able to pull students back from social media is something we haven't been able to do successfully across the board. Mm-hmm. There are individual pockets of people who are doing well with it because, you know, there are certain people who may be using those locks for the phones. Um, oh, I see. Yeah, and there's people who are not. And so we're all just trying to figure out how to make this work. And what do you think the difference is in being a teacher that students need now versus the teacher that they needed before the pandemic? Wow. Um, I would think what they need now um, in terms of differences, a way to actually understand their TikTok thinking. Oh, okay. Let me expand on that. They their their attention spans may be a good 30 seconds. Mm -hmm. And we've always been able to sustain attention. For example, I teach reading. Um, There's always been this love of books. But TikTok, unless somebody's can condense a book down into a 30 second sound bite, they don't have that sustainability. And so from a teacher point of view, I've got to figure out how to hook them and engage them in the power of story. Mm-hmm. You know, and we're having the same things across the board, no matter what the subject is, we've, we've got to figure out how to re-engage them into the process of teaching and learning. And this is something that has obviously been, uh, because of all the screen time mm-hmm. that students were spending, and outside a classroom situation wherein everyone is expected to be doing the same thing and there's some measure of control that a teacher has. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I was going to say, I like to use the example because there's a lot of people who don't fully understand. Um, When my kids were small, if they had a birthday party, I would say, okay, no more than 10 friends, right? Because that was the only way to kind of monitor and feed all those people and keep everything under control. Well, we have classrooms with 30 plus students in them. And it is not my job just to be the party host. I've got to actually keep them engaged, assess what they've learned, teach them more, assess that we have standards that they have to live up to. And I am being somewhat of a magician in order to get all of these behaviors under control. Mm -hmm. And it's a challenge. And on that point of magic, Mm -hmm. magic doesn't just happen. It is something that is learned. And one thing that I noted is that you talk about teaching as a calling. Do you think that being an educator is something a person needs to some extent to be born with? And then on the other side of that, you know, how about the making of a teacher? I, I don't think it's a born with thing. Um, I think that when you are around education, if you have the desire 
to push and to support and to help this country develop um, its citizens, it'll come to you, but you have to be willing. And the making of a teacher, there's this whole, um, I guess, movement to fill in the gaps of missing teachers with people who haven't been through training. And I, you know, just because I have been through so much extensive training, I, I feel like that is a mistake. Um, just because you went through school doesn't mean you're ready to teach school. Mm-hmm. There are some psychological things that you need to be able to fully be versed in in order to stand in front of a group of students and deliver information, you know, because they're going to be delivering information back. You've got to learn from those cues. They're teaching you while you're teaching them. And it takes skills in order to be able to do that. So can a teacher be born with it? It still has to be developed, Mm -hmm. you know, it still has to be taught, made, practiced, reflected on, taught, made, practiced again and again. Right. Iterative process. Mm -hmm. We need to take a quick break, but we'll be back shortly to continue this conversation. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio. Welcome back. We were talking about teaching as a, a calling, and there's a, a certain amount of time that you spend at, at, in any calling, um, doing the work, putting in the time. Now, one of the the columns that you wrote was from uh, someone named Ready to Retire. And your advice to Ready to Retire, who's a teacher who was burned out yet could not retire early because of family circumstances. It offers concrete tips for managing precious limited resources, some of those you've talked about, yet it doesn't stop at that. You get specific about how they can start preparing to retire. And at the top of the show, I talked about the the teacher uh, shortage crisis and given that crisis in educators leaving the classroom, can, what is it that compels you to offer counsel that does not take a retain-at-all-costs approach? I, I, I want to say I've experienced this phenomenon this year. We've got about four or five new teachers in our building who have hit the ground running. I mean, they're doing door decorating contests. They're giving incentives for the kids. They have all of this energy. And even in the midst of all that's happening, um, their energy is, is keeping the building going. And so I think about that, and I think about how when I was a young teacher, I had that type of energy. I remember just staying late at night and being able to put on all these performances and bring in guest speakers. Our um, teachers who have been around, they molded me in ways that I cannot explain right now. Like the teacher who I took over for, she had been teaching for 42 years. There, there is so much knowledge and information that a senior teacher can share with someone who has this level of energy and wisdom because the new teachers need to know how do you maintain? How do you keep from burning out? I, I don't think that it's beneficial 
to be in the classroom for 50 years. I think that you do need to be transitioning out. But when you transition, try and find someone who can take over and fill in the gap for you. Use the information you've learned to pass along because the kids are going to need it. In fact, there are a lot of people who probably should retire, but they won't because they're afraid. And so um, retention isn't about just staying here and keeping you miserable. Retention is about you finding purpose. Mm -hmm. So what are some of the benefits that you can name or maybe have spoken about in your column when it comes to the boomerang aspect we talked about, about leaving the classroom and doing so for a spell and then returning to it? So, so for me, my benefit was I was able to see what employers were looking for in our students. So when I teach, I am preparing students to be ready for the work world. It's not just this, I'm the only audience for your work. I'm, I try to make sure that if they are completing an assignment, it's a resume, something that they can use. You know, mm -hmm. their documents are a personal statement. Like everything is relevant to life. And so that is a benefit. Um, when it comes to leaving and coming back, it does give you the opportunity to see, okay, Education world, corporate world, totally different. You know, how do we make sure that our students are prepared for whatever world they go into? Mm -hmm. And the world now is very different mm -hmm. than it was for teachers who've spent you know, decades in the same place. It's interesting. And this is a dynamic that is, I, I, I want to say it's more of a post-pandemic uh, dynamic. A lot of my students have no desire to go to college. And my job is college and career preparation. Mm -hmm. So I'm talking to them about the benefits of college. And they almost have these arguments that are pre-prepared for me where they're saying, we don't really know what the world is going to look like. So a lot of my energy I spend convincing them that, that that time that they spend in college developing themselves will give them the opportunity to pivot. And that is what education is about. You can go in and be a teacher and then pivot. Mm -hmm. You can do that because once you are a teacher, you've learned more skills than uh, just about the average person because of how much we have to juggle, especially with classroom and behavior management, in addition to the, all the work outside of that. So it is about pivoting. And that's what I think about when I think about retiring. Mm -hmm. You have to be able to pivot to whatever is next for you. Mm -hmm. On a systemic level, what do you think needs to happen in order to give teachers who should be in the job and developing the, the tools to do that so that it's not just a you know an individual decision to to do uh, you know some time off and get some other skills and some other perspective and come back so again at the systemic level what do you think can be done when you're in a position as a teacher you're locked in um, I've been privileged to move from grade to grade to grade, but there are a lot of people who, who they they're, that's all they can do. If you're in middle school, you're going to be in middle school for the rest of your career. And in fact, systematically, one of our biggest issues is that if you want to be promoted as a teacher, then you are leaving the classroom. Mm -hmm. There, there is no higher level teacher. Mm -hmm. um, and and if you wanted to make more more cash as a teacher, then that's a systematic problem too. Because now you've got to take on a second job. There's no way to earn additional monies. So when I think about systematic, what you can do to support teachers would be allow them to choose their, um, their educational path. 
whatever their career goal is from the beginning, that is what they need to stay focused on. So a new teacher coming in should be able, and I don't, you know, even if they're a second or third career person, should be able to choose their career path. And you should know and always know this is where I'm going. If, you're, if your career path is into administration, then you're going to do activities towards that. If your career path it takes you out of the classroom, your activities need to support that as well. So systematically, we need to be looking at teachers having career plans that may not always be in teaching. And that almost sounds like some of the more responsive ways of thinking about education mm-hmm. for teachers, not just for, for students. I mean, etymologically, calling has the same roots as vocation, mm-hmm. right? And something that I've wondered about, having come from a family of educators, my brother and my mother um, are or have been K through 12 teachers, is whether um, teaching is made more difficult by issues like low compensation and agency around uh, curricular prioritization, whether those exist because teaching is somehow seen as vocational rather than professional. Like you're trained to do teaching for this grade and nothing else. Um, Another aspect too could be the expectation that quote unquote real teachers, much like nurses, for example, that they must be willing to take on sort of this noble burden of hard work because the labor is for the children. you're, You're nodding. Do you think that as a society, we need to examine our understanding of education, especially kindergarten through grade 12? So, excuse me. I'm sorry, I got that excited. (laughs) There's this movement right now um, called the American Education Act, and they're trying to move that starting wage to $60,000 for teachers. And um, for some reason, there's pushback. And... I don't understand how anyone could understand how a teacher could survive off of $30,000, $40,000 a year. And people don't actually look at the fact that even if there's a thirty-eight or $48,000 salary, 14.5% of that goes to retirement before you can do anything. Mm-hmm. So if you're making $35,000, you are only bringing home $26,000, That's poverty. Um, There are teachers who have received welfare benefits from the government because they qualify. Um, Most of the teachers who I know either live with someone or um, have a second job. And and there was a long Twitter feed I was reading the other day about all the teachers and how they're finding a way to support themselves. And so as a society, we really need to examine how we can make our teachers even better by providing them with a living wage where they can actually afford to be teachers. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are people who have passion for this work and, and cannot financially sustain it. Mm-hmm. So, absolutely. You started this column in July of 2022. Correct. Since that time, have there been any new bells that have rung for you? So in other words, has writing the column driven by questions that teachers across the country are asking you revealed anything to you about one or two of the issues that are most pressing? So it's funny that you ask that because teaching is reflection. 
like we're constantly thinking, did that lesson come across right? Did, did I did I deliver that as I was trying? And so for me, the thing that has been prevalent across the board is that teachers are unhappy with their working conditions. You know, and some of them are saying, you know, we have poor leadership. Um, and most of them are just still trying to focus on this work-life balance. And it wasn't until I started writing this column that I realized, oh, I, I, have, I actually know a lot about education. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know a lot about what teachers are experiencing across the board. So writing the column has really helped me to open my eyes to what what's happening around us. Mm-hmm. And very quickly, what would you say um, has shown you that writing after the bell is doing something necessary? Because people are actually listening. People are listening. And then I have this overwhelming question where I keep thinking, are the teachers okay? Well, Kem Smith, I hope that answering that question becomes uh, easier in some ways and and clearer, not only for other teachers, but for the, the sake of the children. Thank you for joining us today. Kem Smith is the inaugural advice columnist for Chalkbeat, a nonprofit newsroom dedicated to education and 12th grade English teacher at McClure North High School. You can read Kem's column, After the Bell, on chalkbeat.org. On that note, in the second half of high school, students often start thinking about post-secondary education. Whether it's for a trade or an associate's or bachelor's degree, a big question looms. How is it going to be paid for? And when a student's parents are already carrying hefty debt for student loan balances of their own, that question moves into the realm of generational debt. Are you a parent who's paying down personal student loans at the same time your child is about to start their higher ed journey, which will mean school debt of their own? We'd like to hear from you about generational debt. Leave us a message at 314-516-6397. That's 314-516-TALK. This episode was produced by Maya Norfleet. Our production intern is Avery Rogers. Audio engineering by Alex Hoyer. Podcast design by Aaron Dorr. Alex Hoyer is our executive producer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Our podcast proudly supports St. Louis artists by using music from Life Creative Group. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thanks. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com.